I want to read a lengthy scripture. Exodus chapter 15. To set the context, this is immediately following not only the people of Israel crossing the Red Sea, but God destroying the Egyptians when the water returns to its place. And so what happens when that occurs? Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. By the way, there's a chorus that uses those words. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but there has been a chorus written using that text. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them which I find to be an interesting phrase, but we are told in the preceding chapter that as the Egyptians entered where the Israelites crossed on dry land, they were stuck in the mud. And imagine, if you will, not being able to move and seeing those walls of water crashing down. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. And then there follows a verse of commentary. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. And then we continue on. 
Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. What did we just read? A song of Moses. Now, he also wrote one of our psalms, which we haven't gotten to yet, but we will. And you don't think of Moses as a musical person, but clearly he was. Now, I have no idea what this sounded like. The people of Israel following Moses' lead in this this hymn that he wrote. But it fascinates me that here, after a formative event in the history of Israel... The first thing they do is stop and sing a hymn. And it is just chock full of praise to God. I uh, was reading about a fellow. I'd love to find his work someplace. His name is Lester Ruth. And his friend writes of him, he's a super nerd. As a super nerd, he dissected the language of our Christian music's top 40 list over the last 50 years and compared it to the language of the hymns of our faith over the last 4,000 years. He found many striking and almost sickening realities, but I'll share just a few that may help us here. This is what, what he said about Lester Ruth's writing. First, he found that Trinitarian language has all but disappeared from our top 40 singing. Whereas in hymnody, Trinitarian language is a must. Now, the hymn that we just read in Exodus chapter 15, there's a lot about the Trinity described, correct? The name Yahweh is repeated over and over and over. His attributes are described, but doesn't say anything about the Trinity. There is a fact known as progressive revelation At this time in the history of Revelation, God had not revealed that part of his character. But I understand why he makes the statement he does, because he goes on to say, Today we tend to generalize God's name or highlight Jesus, but we rarely, if ever, remember and name all three persons of the Godhead. Well, that may or may not be a bad thing. If you go through the verses, even in the New Testament, that could be described as a doxology or a hymn of Paul or anything along those lines, they don't necessarily talk about the all three persons of the Godhead either. Certainly, and as we we listened to uh, John in men's group last night, Jesus taught a lot about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see more if God leaves us here to continue that study. But nonetheless, there is a place for recognizing who God is, what he is like, and what he has accomplished. So I would probably tone down and say, no, Trinitarian language may not be a must. There's a place for giving the glory to Jesus. That's, after all, the job of the Holy Spirit, correct? And then Jesus himself gives glory to his Father. So the, the uh, 
persons of the Trinity are all equally important, but they have different tasks. He goes on to say he also noticed that language for humans in today's songs are me, myself, I, whereas the hymns often use more of a language of we or us. This is intriguing when we consider the language used in the Garden of Eden pre-fall. Genesis 1 to 3, we, us. After the fall, individual pronouns are used. Interesting. Finally, Lester also noted, and this one I think we, we could probably follow along with, noted that sophistication in poetry has disappeared. Our lyrics are sparse, nondescriptive, and often don't tell stories richly and deeply. Whereas hymns like one I'm about to read, a famous hymn that they describe as unknown to many, but I've known it my whole life, and I think most of us have, is so beautiful in its imagery and description. So let's look at a couple of hymns. I'd like you to take your hymn and turn to number 390. Just follow along and, and keep up as I read. And then think about whether they sing this song in most evangelical churches today. Jesus, I my cross have taken all to leave and follow thee. Destitute, despised, forsaken, thou from hence my all shall be. Perish every fond ambition, all I've sought or hoped or known. Yet how rich is my condition, God and heaven are still my own. Let the world despise and leave me, they have left my Savior too. Human hearts and looks deceive me, thou art not like them untrue. Oh, while thou dost smile upon me, God of wisdom, love, and might, foes may hate and friends disown me, show thy face and all is bright. Man may trouble and distress me, twill but drive me to thy breast. Life with trials hard may press me, heaven will bring me sweeter rest. Oh, tis not in grief to harm me while thy love is left to me. Oh, twere not in joy to charm me were that joy unmixed with thee. Go then, earthly fame and treasure, come disaster, scorn, and pain. In thy service, pain is pleasure. With thy favor, loss is gain. I have called thee, Abba Father. I have stayed my heart on thee. Storms may howl and clouds may gather. All must work for good to me. Soul, then know thy full salvation. Rise or sin and fear and care. Joy to find in every station something still to do or bear. Think what spirit dwells within thee. Think what father's smiles are thine. Think that Jesus died to win thee. Child of heaven, canst thou repine? Haste thee on from grace to glory, armed by faith and winged by prayer. Heaven's eternal days before thee, God's own hand shall guide thee there. Soon shall close thy earthly mission, soon shall pass thy pilgrim days. Hope shall change to glad fruition, faith to sight and prayer to praise. 
Now, that's definitely Trinitarian. It also talks about some uncomfortable things. Jesus promised us that if the world hated him, it'll hate us. That is not a truth taught today. It's particularly not written in the hymns that we, that we have being written today for the most part. Um, you can find good examples of things that actually do help in times of trouble. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I have no intention of delving deeply into to, uh, the chapter because Paul is discussing a controversy regarding the use of tongues in the Corinthian church. But he concludes his argument in verse 26 saying, What then, brothers, when ye come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. So when is the last time that you heard a revelation or a tongue or an interpretation of a tongue? Pastor Sage, you better say never. But it was going on in the church in Corinth, and there were some valid things going on in this transitional time while the scriptures were being completed. But Paul still says every one of those components in your worship has a place and a purpose. Let it be done for building up. And so everyone has a hymn, everyone has a lesson. And this is what led to the things I was talking about last night in men's group. It's amazing the lessons I have learned from people who never have stood on this platform. It's amazing the lessons I've learned from people who have said, wow, great hymn. Micah's done this a couple of times. Hey, you need to look at this one. But these things are given to us as part of the ministry of the church. So just as the Israelites praised God in song, so must we. Now, a second concept is that Oftentimes today, the Holy Spirit is portrayed in our services and singing, depending on the kind of church that you go to, as a toy that is abused. I'm more spiritual than you if I speak in tongues, for example. Or it's a thing that's altogether left out. And so let me read another hymn to you. This one's going to be different, so I want you to turn to number 171. And once again, follow along as best you can, because this is very different from what we have in our hymnal. The original text reads, I ask no dream, no prophet ecstasies, no sudden rending of the veil of clay. No angel vision, nor the opening skies, but take the dimness of my soul away. Have you not bid me love you, God and King, with all my soul, heart, and mind, and strength? I see your cross, there teach me to it cling. 
Oh, let me seek your will. Oh, let me find. And then the chorus is what we see in our hymnal as verse 1. Spirit of God, descend on my heart. Wean it from earth. Through me move. Stoop to my weakness. Mighty you are. And make me love you as I ought to love. Verse 3. Teach me to feel that you are always near. Teach me the struggles of the soul to bear. To check the rising doubt, the rebel sigh. Teach me the patience of unanswered prayer. Teach me to love you as thine angels love. One holy passion filling all my frame. The presence of your descended dove. My whole heart and altar and your love the flame. And then goes back to Spirit of God, descend upon my heart as the the final chorus. So it it is significantly different from what we have in our hymnal and what I've sung all my life. But nevertheless, that hymn is important for a particular reason. It's a great prayer to one of the persons of the Trinity to whom we rarely pray. We pray to the Father, recognizing that the Holy Spirit enables those prayers. But there is nothing wrong with us praying to the Spirit, and this hymn does that. What's the benefit? Why is that important? One of my favorite passages, you know, when I was uh, in high school, my senior year I was on a quiz team. And there were a number of churches in our immediate area that would meet the youth would meet about once a month. And we'd all, always have a quiz. Somebody had built these really cool boards. So you'd have a team of four people, and the moderator would read a question. And if you knew what the answer was, you'd hit the button. If you were the first button, it locked out everybody else. And I not only wanted to learn 2 Corinthians, I kind of wanted to be the quiz champions. And so I did something that I don't think anybody else did in all of those young people for, I don't know, probably 10 or 12 different churches. I started to memorize 2 Corinthians. Halfway through the year, I had memorized the first eight chapters And my youth group's quiz team won the first six six quizzes because as soon as he started to read a text, I knew what the rest of it was, and I could just quote the verse. I could only do that six times out of ten questions. After that, I was done for the night. But by that time, we were ahead. I could not quote 2 Corinthians chapters 1 through 8 to you now. But the passages still remain with me. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, there is one of those passages that I have returned to over and over through my life. Blessed, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. 
For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, now Paul is referring to his own persecutions and trials. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Well, what does that have to do with the hymn that we just sang or just read together? Teach me to feel that you are always near. Teach me the struggles of the soul to bear. To check the rising doubt, the rebel sigh, teach me the patience of unanswered prayer. I had a pastor for a brief time. Luann and I attended a, a church near Quakertown, Pennsylvania. And the, there were three pastors, one of whom had a master's degree from Westminster Theological Seminary, and another one who had attended there, and I think he may have had his master's degree as well. And then there was the primary preaching pastor who had a Bible college diploma. Now, he was not as good a pastor as ours in, in terms of his speaking ability. But he told us on several occasions that his job was not to give us something new and exciting so that we would go home marveling at how well he had interpreted the scriptures to us. His goal was to give us something that we could rely upon when the dark days came. If we are grounded in the scripture, then when those dark days come, and they will, then we have a basis. And when we sing hymns like the one that we read together, actually both of the ones that we've read tonight, that also helps to form that foundation. When scriptures are, or when hymns are based upon the scriptures, it reinforces what we already know the scriptures to teach. I've often said, you know, I, I don't know how old I was. I was not very old when I memorized Romans 8.28. And then in college, as I began to understand the the doctrines of grace, I memorized 29 and 30 to go along with 828. And so I've known those verses for most of my life. And when Luann was diagnosed with cancer, she had won a trip to a Bass Pro Fishing tournament. It's not the kind of vacation I would have planned to take, but she won the trip. So, And it was in Syracuse, New York, I don't know, 30 or 40 miles from where she was born and grew up. If you had told me previously that there was a resort hotel in Syracuse, New York, I would have laughed at you, but there really was. It was really, really nice. We were sitting there in the, the, the room, and it's one of only two times that both of us cried at the same time. But while we were embracing each other, 
She said, even if the worst happens, he is still a good God. Now, that's not inspired scripture. That came right out of the inspired scriptures, however. And, you know, those words stuck with me over the next 10 years more than anything that the Bible had to say. I mean, I needed what the Bible had to say. But the words that kept repeating in my mind were her words. And I wasn't the one with cancer. She was. But she said, if the worst happens, he's still a good God. I hope that when I'm facing death, that I will have that kind of faith. I think I will. Because he's still a good God. And because my life has been built upon his word and upon hymns like the ones we've read already tonight. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you will, take a look at John chapter 14. John 14, verse 25. Jesus is saying in the midst of his teaching, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. Well, we have a couple of men for whom we pray regularly who are facing cancer. I have been aware since I was 20 years old that anything that can happen to anybody health-wise is more likely to happen to me because I'm diabetic. I am more prone to heart disease. I am more prone to vision loss. I am more prone to kidney disease. I am more prone to high blood pressure. I am more prone to cancer. There was apparently at one time... um, a group known as the Garden City Project. Now, if you go look for GardenCityProject.org right now, you will find a website where you can take guitar lessons, you can take beatboarding lessons, believe it or not, you can take music theory, you can take all you can learn how to be a better artist, you can learn how to be a better sculptor. There are people who who want to engage the culture for Christ. And so they have all of these means, these things that you can do so that you can come, become better at your ministry, whatever it is. But all of this is not just so I can learn a new hobby. It's so that I can engage the culture for Christ in that hobby. So some years ago, as they were apparently just getting all of this started, and I, and I cannot find anything about this, I looked for this particular song all over the place and couldn't find it. But it was used as another example of teaching that enables us to learn about Christ about the Trinity 
and so on. And I don't even know what meter this is in. So I can't even read it to you in rhythm. Uh, but it's pretty interesting reading what the lyrics say, all from the Gospel of John. Christ became man, incarnate Son, God coming down to meet us. So now we lift up our voices in praise, the word in flesh descending into a virgin's womb, showing the depth, the weight of humility. Chorus 1. So raise your voice, for the God of heaven has come down to earth. Praise your King. So raise your voice. He was born to live in us. In his bride, with his church, he's our home. Second verse. Christ lifted up on a cross, exalted in such atrocity. He had to suffer to be glorified, rising to life in victory. Over the grave and now he has secured eternity for us. Chorus 2, so raise your voice, our God's perfected love, lift it up, praise your King, so raise your voice as he rides the clouds above, ascended Lord, our leader, our home. Verse 3, back in the embrace of the Father, our Messiah on his throne, the Spirit's power now can live in and through us, God now has made us his home. In our hearts through faith, the Spirit's seal a firm assurance. So raise your voice to God in flesh. Now pray, God in flesh now prays for us. He intercedes, praise your King. So raise your voice. The Father sends his love, his Spirit sent, our comfort, our home. The bridge says, Christ will return again, bringing heaven to earth. Renewing all things, God will dwell with man. And then the last iteration of the chorus. So raise your voice. Heaven lives and moves on earth. Sing, O church, praise your king. So raise your voice. The kingdoms now and yet to come, we await as his bride, our home, our cornerstone. Now, we have read some pretty heavy lyrics and one is a hymn I've never heard. I have no idea how it goes. I can't find it on YouTube. I can't find it on Google. I can't find it on DuckDuckGo. I have no idea how you sing this. But the lyrics are still worth considering. But how about these? And I want you to consider these in comparison with what we've already read. They say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some, and right now, right now I'm losing bad. Anybody recognize that? It's a song that was sung by Mercy Me. It was on the charts for quite a while. I've stood on this stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be all right, but right now, oh right now I just can't. It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down, but what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? I know you're able and I know you can save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. They say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Good thing a little faith is all I have right now. But God, when you choose to leave mountains unmovable, 
Oh, give me the strength to be able to sing, It is well with my soul. It goes along in that same vein, but repeats, I know you can, but even if you don't, my hope is you alone. How should we live? Just that way. Now, the person who wrote all about the Trinitarian hymn language wouldn't like that song because there's a lot of eyes. There's a lot of talk about Jesus. It doesn't include the uh, great poetry. But I guarantee you this. It was one of Luann's favorite songs to hear on the radio because she already knew. Even if the worst happens, he's a good God. And if the mountain remains unmovable, still my hope is you alone. And so we've looked at some hymns tonight. I want to close with something from John Wesley. You can find it just by Googling John Wesley's rules for singing. He was a great one for rules. <laughs> he was a Methodist. So he did things methodically. But here's the list. Learn these tunes before you learn any others. Now he was talking about a specific hymnal that he had published. Learn these tunes before you learn any others. Afterwards, learn as many as you please. Now most of those tunes, most of those hymns were written by his brother, who has as many hymns in our hymnal as Isaac Watts. Charles Wesley wrote a lot of hymns, and he did not write hymns like an Arminian. <laughs> it's amazing. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Wow. I didn't just decide I was going to walk out that door by my free will. It was Christ who set him free, and that's what he wrote in And Can It Be? So his first rule was use his hymnal. Now, I have read other versions of these rules. That particular rule isn't included. <laughs> but that is what he said first, and that's what he put in the um, uh, introduction to that hymnal. His second rule is sing them exactly as they are printed here without altering or mending them at all. Okay, Jeff. That white book there? That's got to go. <laughs> well, John Wesley had a good reason for saying what he did there too, and he made the comment once upon a time, there are many people who have tried to modify our hymns, and they should not do that because they're not able to do so. <laughs> so he said his brother had written great hymns. John wrote a few himself, but he said, don't try to modify them. Sing them the way they're in the hymnal. Um, we don't sing most of Charles or John Wesley's hymns the way they wrote them, by the way, just so you know, because he wrote some really long hymns. This one I like. Sing all. See that you join with the congregation as frequently as you can. 
It doesn't say anything there about joining a worship team. It just says everybody sing and do it with the congregation as often as possible. Sing lustily, and he did not say sing lustfully, he said sing lustily. In other words, get into the music. Sing lustily and with a good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep. Sing modestly. Do not bawl so as to be heard above or distinct from the rest of the congregation. Here's another one that I find a little humorous. Sing in tune. Okay. That's great if you can. There's a place for song leaders and instruments to guide us in our singing so that we do sing in tune. Whatever time is sung, be sure to keep with it. Don't run before it or stay behind it. Take care not to sing too slow. But above all, sing spiritually. Have an eye to God in every word you sing. Aim at pleasing Him more than yourself or any other creature. In order to do this, attend strictly to the sense of what you sing. Wow. I can tell you that on more than one occasion in decades of leading singing, there have been times when I have no idea what hymn we just sang. I don't know what the words said. I'm pretty sure I pronounced them correctly. I'm pretty sure that I led the people in the right meter. But I sure wasn't singing the way John Wesley just said I should sing. I will close with another place where Paul speak saying Colossians 3 16 and 17 let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom now there's the preaching part there's the teaching part and he puts it first but he also says singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It happened with Moses and the people of Israel when they had been rescued from the Egyptians at the Red Sea. It happened as little bodies of believers throughout Asia Minor in particular would gather together and sing hymns and use those hymns to praise the king they knew. It's happened in the 2,000 years since. Why do we sing? Why is it important to learn about the hymns that we sing? Because we need them. Once again, I cannot take away from the supremacy of Scripture to help us to live our lives. But I also don't think we can afford to give away what the hymns add to the scripture in the sense that they reinforce what the scriptures already taught us. Particularly if we are singing hymns that are worth singing. And there are a few in this hymnal I don't think we'll ever sing. 
I don't think we'll ever sing, someday you'll hear God's final call to you. I don't think we'll ever sing, the Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why, why don't you let him come in? There are a couple of uh, post-millennial hymns in our hymnal. There are a lot of Christmas songs that are just, I'm sorry, they're unscriptural. They follow tradition, not the scripture. But there are plenty of others that are of value to us to help us as we live our lives. And we should take advantage of them so that all together we sing those psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful. We have each encountered trials. There have been things that came into our lives we would rather have avoided. But even though we know you can take us through the fire, our faith is in you alone. And so we pray that you will help us to remember those things as we study the scriptures and as we look at great literature written by others who study the scriptures. Bless us, Father. And help us to remember that one day any of us may be able to write a hymn because we'll have all of eternity to learn how to do it. So may God be exalted. May his son be lifted up. May the spirit enable us in all things as we make use of what you have provided as aids to our worship. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.